Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Thanks for tuning into the Real Guy Podcast. We had a big week this week here in Florida. Governor DeSantis has passed some major legislation to help um, our water quality issues down here. And this week, I have Nyla Pipes from the One Florida Foundation to break it all down for us and to let us know how the real guy can participate and make the most out of this legislation. She's an educator, she's a great person, and she works very hard at getting the message out. So, without further ado, Nyla Pipes from the One Florida Foundation. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Nyla Pipes from the One Florida Foundation. Thank you so much for being on the Real Guy Podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be back. Well, I tell you, the last time you were on here, um, the audience absolutely enjoyed the information you were able to give. And um, I mean, it says right on your website, um, it's about education. And you did a great job at that the last time you were on the Real Guy Podcast. So the other day... um, they sending uh, people were sending me the link to Governor DeSantis's um, press conference about the latest and greatest legislation, and I got all fired up listening to it. And then I started to think about it, and I was like, "Wait a second, let me get somebody like Nyla in here to talk to the audience that can actually break it down for them much better than I can." So that's why I reached out to you, and I'm so glad you had the time. Well, I'm happy to be here, and I'm going to try to break it down as much as possible. You know, um, we're talking about his great big water bill, and uh, it's known as Senate Bill 712 or the Clean uh, Waters Act, Clean Waterway Act, I believe is the the name of it. Uh, But those of us who've been working on it, Senate Bill 712, and it really is designed to get at the recommendations from the Blue Green Algae Task Force that he put together when he very first came into office. And, you know, like any major piece of legislation, there's room for improvement. There always is. Um, A lot of the time people get frustrated because it's not perfect. And I am very middle of the road on this bill. Um, There's a lot of really great stuff in it that I think lays the groundwork for some serious improvement um, for our waterways. But I also understand why some people are frustrated, and we can get into all of that as we move along. Yeah, I'd love to look at um, both sides of the coin because the little bit of interaction I've had with the um, city leaders here in Fort Lauderdale, um, I heard some of the same, and I'm going to call it code when I heard DeSantis talk about the bill. Like he mentioned task force, Mm -hmm. and I know a little bit about the task force here in Fort Lauderdale. And I'm not that impressed by that. So I didn't really, um, I don't know. I, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on on sure. what he, how his task force works and what kind of faith you have in it. 
So the Blue Green Algae Task Force is one of the first places that Governor DeSantis started after he became uh, our governor. And he put together a group of well-respected, renowned Florida scientists, many of whom have studied, um, you know, all of our issues, our, our algae blooms, Lake Okeechobee, the Everglades, and and the ecosystem, you know, for decades. And they came together and they held a series of meetings over the course of the first, you know, year, year and a half, maybe longer that he's, you know, been in office as our governor. And I got to tell you, in general, I was pretty impressed with their recommendations that they came out with because what they did is they took each meeting and they really dove deep into specific topics, right? And so that's what this bill actually tries to get at is that same approach. So Mm -hmm. one of the topics they dove pretty deeply into um, that, of course, I've been working on for years uh, are the topic of septic tanks and how well they do or do not function in Florida soils with uh, a propensity for flooding, uh, a lot of tidal influence, et cetera. And mm-hmm. they spent, you know, a couple of hours talking about septic tanks and bringing in even more experts to talk about septic tanks, uh, otherwise known as the on-site sewage disposal systems, right? That's the official term for a septic tank, which you'll see a lot of if you read Senate Bill 712. And I will say that that's probably one of the best places to start as far as where I'm excited about this bill, because it removes oversight of septic tanks from the Department of Health. And it puts it squarely under the umbrella of the Department of Environmental Protection, which is a really big deal when you talk about the fact that septic tanks do not remove much in the way of nitrogen and phosphorus, which of course is feeding our algae blooms and causing us so many problems. So that's a huge move because it's going to allow them to finally tackle the ecological impact of septic tanks, whereas when it was under the Department of Health, really, they were just looking at the health end of things. You know, does it remove bacteria? Does it remove, you know, um, E. coli, those sorts of things, which do a better job of that, but they're not good at removing nutrients. And so to get at water quality, that's a big change that's going to allow us to move forward and actually get to the root of that problem. Um. I see. I see. So the, the, and I, and I heard, I heard this, and as, you know, mention um, all the responsibilities that the DEP was now going to be able to monitor and take over. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, you have faith in the DEP? Um, so I think we talked about this last time. One should, <laughs> one should never have faith in our government. The point, the point is we are the government, right? And so right. my faith in the DEP goes as far as people like you and I go to work with them and to continually tell them what's important and to continually push on them to get the job done. And there are good people within, you know, DEP. There are probably some that are there that, you know, collect their paycheck and go home for the day. I'm not here to judge that either way. I'm here to say, if you are not paying attention and doing your due diligence as a citizen, the process will always fail. And, you know, that that starts with your local government all the way up to, you know, your federal government. And, and ultimately, yes, DEP is a governmental agency. Therefore, we do have to stay involved. But, you know, I do think that this bill – gives us some framework and it allows them to work at um, some rulemaking that they didn't use to have uh, the right to be involved in um, under a, no- a number of topics. You know, uh, another topic that this bill gets at is stormwater. You know, Florida's stormwater rules were developed to meet a performance standard to reduce the annual uh, post-development pollution load, Right. Right. So every time we have more development going in, these developers, they have to meet a certain criteria for the stormwater rule to be met, right? That hasn't been reevaluated in a very long time. And development in the state of Florida is, I mean, it's rampant, you know, it's runaway. And so if our stormwater rules are not developed 
to the point to handle what is happening right now, then what good mm-hmm. are they? And and this bill lays out a framework to allow us to get at that problem, which is another part of the big pie, right? Uh, it's huge. It's huge. You know, when um, after we had the big sewage bills here and it went all over the streets and people's yards and got into the soil, we went through this long period of a drought. You know, we didn't have hardly any sure. rain here. And then we had this huge rain, you know, with the rain we were kind of waiting for. And I had a, I had a mixed emotions about the rain because one, I, you know, it was dry. So I knew we needed rain, but two, I knew that if it rained that much, all that stuff that was left over from the huge sewage spills would end up getting into the drain system and get flushed into the intercoastal. And then we were going to see a dramatic drop in water quality again, which happened to the T. So that's known as the first flush, right? Anytime in Florida, we have a long period of dryness followed by rather heavy rains. You get what is known as the first flush. And that, that refers to that canal system, right? Anything that's been sitting there mm-hmm. rotting in the canal system, any latent leftover stuff from a situation such as what you were just talking about um, with your uh, sewage problems in Fort Lauderdale, which we will get into in a minute because Senate Bill 712 actually gets at some of those things too. Um, but but that's the first flush, right? After drought, you mm-hmm. always get that first flush of nutrients to the system. That's why you see these algae blooms just kind of burst onto the scene because it takes that first little bit of rainfall, that first flush of nutrients to the system, and then, of course, heat and sunshine, which Florida in the summer is not lacking in any of. Um, The biggest example of the first flush causing major concerns um, actually came after Hurricane Irma. You know, we saw that throughout the state after Hurricane Irma. It's part of why our 2016 algae season, as I've kind of tongue-in-cheek known to call it, uh, is part of why it was so bad, right? Because we had a first flush that pretty much encompassed the entire state because of Hurricane Irma. And and just to give you an idea, um, the input to Lake Okeechobee as far as nutrient pollution doubled in size just based upon that one storm. So, wow. yeah, I mean, so so when you're talking about stormwater, you're talking about the way that our canal system, our flood control system works, the way that um, each development goes in and how they have to plan for, you know, the 100-year storm or whatever, how, how they have to plan ahead to make sure that they're not impacting the environment. And and it's really important that we look at this again with fresh eyes, uh, 2020 eyes, as opposed to, you know, when it was written um, quite some time ago. (laughs) So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of the things that, um, I mean, it's so hard to communicate. um, It's so hard to communicate when you're talking about the environmental issues because the media does such a poor job. They don't help at all. And then people have to kind of listen to what they can get and then interpret it. And one of the one of the things that was happening with me here in Fort Lauderdale is people um, just assumed that I was like anti-development. Oh, which I'm not. I'm not really anti-development. I just know that the development, the way we're developing, is the same way we've been developing for I don't know since Fort Lauderdale was you know put on the map. <laughs> Pretty much since and the just, state of Florida started developing, right? What? Pretty much since the state of Florida started developing, right? I mean, right, Florida has right. always kind of been for sale, right? That that was the whole premise always. of how Florida was um, founded and and moved into. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, it just cracked me up a bit because if you read the swamp, you know, it's it's just. From Broward to Flagler to, you know, I mean, they all the ads that they ran up north to advertise, you know, <laughs> you could buy Florida on the cheap. And and unfortunately, right. I think we've been playing catch up ever since. Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. The, um, you know, I think there was a there was a time where that philosophy of development um, was a must. And now that we are developed, um Things need to change. The way we develop, the way we put in, um, you know, these huge communities. One of the one of the places that's really got me um, got my eyes open because at this point, I'm trying to make sure that some of these small towns across the state don't make the same mistakes that we've made here in Fort Lauderdale. 
And over in Port Charlotte, um, my parents live over there. And then one of the greatest things about Port Charlotte is you look across that bay and you don't see any condos. You don't see any cities. You see the bay. Sure. And you see the natural um, the natural part of the bay that everybody came to Florida for. And just recently, I look across the bay and I see these giant cranes like we have here in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, no. And it really, really has sparked a fire. And it's got me thinking the rest of the state needs to really pay attention to how bad we screwed up down south here. You know, I and I make tend, sure it doesn't happen. I now. tend to agree with you there. And that's one of the reasons, um, again, I'm, I'm somewhat excited about this bill because, you know, for instance, when we're talking about stormwater, um, they're going to give priority to uh, ordinances program, you know, programs that target nutrient reduction, but also use green infrastructure, right? So we're beginning to see hints that we're trying to move forward in a better way. And I think, um, you know, while there are things about the bill that are not good, um, or some people perceive them as not good, not as strong as they could be, uh, there mm-hmm. is so much good in it that I think we have to be really careful not to throw that baby out with the bathwater, right? This is a great gotcha. start. Um, when I see bills coming out of the Florida legislature that say things like, look, let's prioritize green infrastructure, it means we're moving the needle and we have to keep that pressure on to continue doing so. Mm-hmm. Didn't think of it quite like that before. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to look for the silver lining. I really do. Um, you know, this bill gets at some good things as far as your sewage problem in Fort Lauderdale, too. You know, I don't wanna I don't wanna lose faith in the existing communities we already have, such as Fort Lauderdale, right? South Florida is not right. completely ruined. It's it's um got some serious ecological concerns that we have to try to do better, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and obviously, um, the ongoing uh, problems that you guys are having with your sewers in Fort Lauderdale, that's, that's sort of the prime example of some of that. Um, but, you know, with wastewater in this bill, uh, one of the biggest things is they have created a grant program. Now, it is subject to appropriation, but that means that's an opportunity for people like you and I and any of your listeners who want to be involved to go and make sure we get the dollars appropriated, right? Um to go ahead and fund the wastewater grant program that this bill has now created within the DEP that requires a 50% local match of funds, right? So that 50% local match of funds is really important because it gives you not just an opportunity to advocate for the funding to be appropriated at the state legislative level, but also at the local level. So in Fort Lauderdale, I know that there's been a lot of – misspent funding. Yes, lots. But hopefully they're realizing they have to do better. And hopefully they are putting aside those funds now. And you can advocate for that at every Fort Lauderdale city council meeting, at every Broward County meeting possible and say, hey guys, we have to fix this. We have to do better. And now you've got a 50% you know, matching fund from the state of Florida that we can go to the table and we can say, look, here's our money. Here's our local buy-in. Our constituents want us to fix the sewers, right? right. That's a big deal right. because, you know, there's never been any um, streamlined way to do that prior to now. It's been a little bit more piecemeal and and it's been um, probably more of a food fight is how I would say it. Uh, a lot of competition to try to cobble together funding. And this this creates a way that is is a little bit more streamlined, and I think it's going to be more successful. Um, and, and it does other things, too. It, it requires the DEP to submit an annual report to the governor and the legislature on those projects that are funded uh, through this grant program. Uh, it provides incentives for wastewater projects that promote efficiency, you know, and, and removal of more nutrients. So there, there's mm-hmm. a lot of encouragement there that wasn't there before. Um Huh. And and more rulemaking capability for DEP and more ability for them to go ahead and lay those fines in place and hold the the local communities, um, the local governments, you know, the public utilities, all of these people that have been maybe getting away with some in 
you know, an inappropriate um, ways of handling their sewage, uh, it, it lets them have a way to to sort of say, okay, look, here's the carrot or here's the stick. Which one do you want? Right? You're still right, going to fix right, your sewage right. problem. So I think that there's a lot of power given in this bill to the DEP. And again, we can keep the pressure on the DEP to make sure that they follow through. And, and you know, this is a, a stepping stone. It's a, it's a great framework, but it doesn't mean that we can't go back every year and push for improvements and push for more. Well, one of the one of the things, you know, it says right on your website at One Florida, it's about education. And at first, I kind of, you know, I was so mad about the sewage issues here in Fort Lauderdale. At first, I wanted to call the city officials SOBs and, you know, really kind of take it out on them. And then as I learned more and learned more and started to understand a little bit, um, a little bit better, I realized that the the mayor and the commissioners here in Fort Lauderdale, mm-hmm. whether their intentions were there or not, I really don't think they had a clue um, what their role was or how they were going to start tackling this issue. Um, you know, once once they dis- once they said, okay, well, you know, we're not going to allocate the money towards other things anymore. We definitely have to fix the water. We have to fix the sewage system. And then I'm watching, and I'm like, these guys don't know what to do. Well, I mean, there's and- a distinct possibility there, right? I, every every one of us comes to these conversations with different levels of education and different backgrounds, right? You know, um, perhaps they are people who ran for office more concerned about education or. Um, mental health or, you know, you just don't know what they do or do not know. And that's part of why advocacy is so important because, I mean, I'll be honest, when I, when I went to uh, Tallahassee in 2013, this time I'll always stick out in my head. Um, And I don't mean this in, in any negative way, but there was somebody in office in Tallahassee in 2013 who was pretty unaware of not just the issues with Lake Okeechobee, but had never really even looked at where the lake was located. <laughs> you know? He had no clue. No. And, and to be fair, <laughs> I mean, this is not a person who was super close to Lake Okeechobee, um, but right. it's a big state. It's a big state, and there are a lot of problems. And, and, you know, I mean, bring it back home to the local level, each and every one of our commissioners, they have a lot of constituents, right? And they have right. – they have – again, different levels of education on their own. And so um, I've always found, you know, I referred to a a carrot and a stick a minute ago, you know, and that basically means like, hey, take the nice easy way out. Let me cajole you along and we're going to figure this out together. Or I'm going to beat you over the head with a stick with it, right? Like, (laughs) Right, 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 right. I have found, I have found that an approach that is um, slow and steady, but continues to say, hey guys, wait a minute. We have a problem here and a work together approach that brings more education to the table. I have found that that wins out in the long run. Um, it's hard not to be angry. You know, when you see when you see your favorite fishing hole or your um, favorite lake or your favorite bay covered in various algaes or stinking to high heaven from sewage or you know, you just, you've got those, those notifications that say there's E. coli, you can't swim. It's really hard not to be emotionally, you know, at like a 10 or a 15 (laughs) immediately. It's it's hard not to let your blood boil. Um, Right. But it's important to go ahead and, and dial that back a minute and then consider all the factors. And I think that that's what's important about this bill. And I think that's actually why you'll hear some of the um, other environmental organizations being critical of the bill because so many people feel like they've been screaming so long that they didn't get enough. Right. And I can understand Mm -hmm. that. I can understand that emotion. Um, I can understand the public's emotion on that because, you know, you've got soccer moms and weekend warriors out there, people who don't, necessarily read legislation or work at it in that slow, steady way over time, who just immediately kind of go to that 10 or 15 level on the anger emotion scale. Sure. And I get why that happens. Um, well, I get it too. The amount of work 
um, that it takes um, just to keep up with what's going on, never mind do anything, is a lot. So if these people put in that type of effort to stay on top of it and then felt like they didn't get enough, yeah, I could see where it get angry. Sure. Well, and I think part of it too is, is it doesn't just stop it at stormwater and sewage. Um, those happen to be two of the ones that I think are most important that we need to get at, mm-hmm. you know, those, those pollution, um, sources, those, and, and it's not, what's hard about so much of Florida's water is we're not talking about a pollution source that you can lay a finger on. You're actually talking about non-point source pollution. You're talking about the fact that our flood control system and our swampy environment all the groundwater and the surface water flow together and they come through a canal system and they're deposited in Biscayne Bay, right? Or the Indian River Lagoon. So it's a very difficult um, thing to lay your finger on, which is what the challenge was with this bill and and the challenge of the Blue-Green Algae Task Force that really set this in motion with this governor, right? So in addition to your stormwater, in addition to your sewage issues, we have people who are really concerned about agriculture and biosolids. And that's, I I sort of put those in in another silo to talk about because it's really hard to talk about all these things holistically without acknowledging all of those problems exist, right? And one of the issues that uh, a lot of the environmental organizations – really keyed in on is that this bill does go ahead and it continues to work with the Basin Management Action Plan, right? The BMAP program through DEP. And a lot of those groups are already very critical of DEP and the Basin Management Action Plan um, process because that's a whole nother kind of cumbersome bureaucratic approach to how we handle nutrient pollution in the state of Florida, considering the rainfall we get and the flood control system, et cetera. And, and that intersection between the basin management action plan and how we work with Florida department of ag and consumer services and their BMP program, right? The best management practices program. A lot of the environmental organizations really wanted this bill to go a lot further as far as agriculture goes. And the the thing about agriculture is agriculture really is monitored and kept accountable under the Florida Department of Ag and Consumer Services and their best management practices program, the BMPs. And and one of the things in this bill that that some of the groups – got hung up on is whether or not we look at what they're doing on their land every year or every two years. And it became a huge sticking point. And what we ended up with was every two years. And and that's one of the things that people feel got watered down. Now, that being said, the sheer amount of acreage that you're talking about monitoring Honestly, I don't think every year would have been feasible anyway. <laughs> That's the truth of right. it. Just, it. It's it's just too. It much. is. It's a lot, and and I think that people have a hard time because they want a boogeyman, right? They just want to say, "Ag, Ag does it. It's all Ag's fault." <laughs> and I know we've talked about that, you know, in our our last show that we did together. But I, I want to reiterate mm-hmm. that without agriculture. Our other option is more development and more stormwater runoff. You know, the more more surfaces you pave, the worse this situation gets. So, so we are we are working with ag in this bill because agriculture are a stakeholder. They had a right to have their say in this bill too. So, so that's one of the the spots that you'll you'll hear negativity regarding Senate Bill Seven Twelve. Um, you know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're just all going to have to get along. 
there, there's no way around that. It, it just is what it is. Um, right. One of the other negative spots, according to the environmental community in this bill, is they did go forward and they did say, look, we're not going to let you have this rights of nature movement. Have you heard of the rights of nature movement? I have heard of the rights of nature movement. And there's a, a, a lady in our network called Clean Water Karen that's been trying to educate me, but it's a lot of reading. And I got to tell you, I could not quite follow it. So this is directly from, and it's a global movement, okay? Um but this is directly from the Rights of Nature website. And it says, rather than treating nature as property under the law, Rights of Nature acknowledges that nature in all its forms has the right to exist, persist, maintain, and regenerate its vital cycles. So that that okay. on the surface sounds amazing, right? I mean, why wouldn't we want yeah. that? But then it goes on to say... Right. And we, the people, have the legal authority and responsibility to enforce these rights on behalf of ecosystems. If you think about that, okay, you're losing me. (laughs) You're losing me. Basically, basically, what the rights of nature movement will do is it will allow me to sue on the behalf of nature. If you think about that in the um, very practical confines of the way property rights work in America and the way that we as human beings function upon the land, it basically opens up the door to anything goes, right? So if I'm Nyla Pipes and I want to be critical of what Lunker Dog's doing on his property, on behalf of nature, I got. You. I have the right to sue. Right. On behalf of the ecosystem, it's just a slippery right. slope, and I. S- yeah, kind of like what happened with the healthcare system and all the you know insurance stuff that those poor doctors have to go right. through. Right, and I can see why our state legislature said, "Okay, hold on, this is a slippery slope." And I know there will be people who disagree with me. I know that I'm okay with that. I understand that. And I also understand why people feel so desperate that they want to be able to sue on the behalf of nature, right? Well, I think government has failed in so many aspects, and people have watched that over and over again. So now, you know, they're getting desperate at this point, and they'll do anything or ask for, you know, crazy stuff because, you know, they're feeling yes. desperate. I, I can't agree with you more. I, I just, I feel that that's exactly what this whole rights of nature movement is about. Um And I think that there are probably ways and places it applies that I don't quite understand. You know, I'm not, I'm not an expert on the rights of nature for sure. You know, the movement. Right. But I do understand why our legislature again went, okay, no, we're not going that far. (laughs) Right, right. Pause here. Pause here. I got you. I got you. Now, um, I'd like you to talk to my audience a little bit. All right. So, this new legislation has is, is gone mm-hmm. through and, you know, they have the big signing and everything. But for the everyday guy like myself, for the for the fisherman, for the surfer, for the kayaker, for the person that just loves their coastal community, does this or how or try to explain to people how they can make it better, how they can take advantage of it, what their role might be able to be? You know, that's a great question. And I'm going to tell you, honestly, one of the easiest places to start is to make sure that the grant program um, to help with our wastewater problem in this state is funded every year. Because that is, it's written in here, they have that, that grant program now. But we have to get it funded and appropriated on an annual basis. So at the state legislative level, we need to be in Tallahassee and we need to say, you need to fund that 50-50 match program. You need to make sure that the money is there. Because the local communities, I'll tell you, throughout the state, local governments are clamoring for the ability to get off of septic where appropriate or to upgrade their sewage um, collection system where appropriate. And I think that getting those dollars put toward our sewage problems in this state 
I really believe it's the key. And I think it's probably the biggest reason I am a huge supporter of this bill. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So it starts local. It, it and that's, does. um, that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I have been telling my audience, but I've been telling him that more in theory. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, show like, up if you, if you've like, got time to, uh, and, and right now a lot of the communities, I don't know what they're doing in Broward, but I know a lot of the communities are doing zoom meetings and things of that nature. And they're allowing, um, some public comment, you know, from a distance, um, right. But if you've got time to attend your local, you know, county commission meetings or city uh, council meetings, city commission meetings, do that and show up and tell them, hey, look, yeah. I fish such and such canal or such and such bay and I am worried and here's what I'm seeing boots on the ground and I need you to be the champion because that's why we elected you. Um Exactly. exactly. You don't have to be an expert. In fact, in so many ways, it's more important if you are just, you know, and I don't mean to use the word just, it's like just a stay at home mom, right? There is no such thing as just a citizen. (laughs) No, no offense to stay at home moms. (laughs) I don't think anybody's going to be offended. Keep going. But you know, don't feel like you don't have a voice. Just a citizen is actually probably the most important voice in this. So, you know, go to the, go to the meetings, send the emails, make those phone calls, build a relationship with your local government, build a relationship with your South Florida Water Management District people, even go so far as to build a relationship with your DEP people, your FWC people. It's really important to attend the meetings and just continually show up and and tell them that you care because they're more inclined to work in a way that makes a difference if they, A, have an idea what the constituents want, what the citizens want from them, and B, yeah, yeah. if they know you on a first-name basis, right? If they, if they randomly ran into you at the gas station and they know you enough that they're going to wave hello, you have their ear already. But that takes building those yeah. relationships. You know, it's fun. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up because that's what you told me um, – Last time yes. we spoke, you know, it was about relationship building and you gave me some great advice on what I could do here. And I want to, I want to explain to you some of the fruits that came from that. Um, this Saturday, um, the same letter that I wrote to the governor about taking a ride on my boat and looking at our city and where the, you know, take a look at the water and let's see what we can do about this. I wrote that letter to the governor, um, I wrote that letter to my commissioners. I wrote that letter to the mayor and the mayor actually took me up on it and he wants to get on my boat um, this Saturday. He wants to take a ride around. He wants to listen what I have to say and if I can help him. And I think more importantly, like I was saying earlier, is he just, you know, he's educating himself. He's actually putting forth um, some That's effort. fantastic. And I think that that advice that you gave me way back when is now coming to tuition. And I think if we um, can get more people across the state to reach out to their mayors and local local government and try to build a relationship. That's it. I think it will. I think it'll, I think it'll work. I just don't think that enough people are trying. It, I, I hate to say enough people aren't trying. I What I find is a lot of people don't know they can. They, they don't feel adequate. Well, yeah, they don't yeah. feel prepared. And my message is you don't have to be prepared. We're just humans, right? We're just citizens and we're citizens who care. And that's really important, you know? So go do it. Just be empowered. Feel like you have that right because you do. You elected these people or, you know, maybe you got stuck with them because you didn't elect them. But either way, they're there to represent you. So take advantage of that. They are there. Yeah, they are there for that. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to do um, with media coverage of the issues that we have here, both locally and in the state. Like for one one of the things that totally... Like, okay, so DeSantis gets on TV and he gives his big press release about the legislation and I'm way into it because I'm into the water and I'm listening. And then at the end of the, at the, end of the speech, the media gets to talk and ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I think one person from the, 
from the TC Palm newspaper actually asked a question about the environment or about the legislation. And then the rest of the media, what did they want to talk about? <laughs> they started asking the governor about COVID. Right. And Black Lives Matter stuff. And it's like, dude, we've been listening to that kind of information for a month. Can this guy please tell us a little bit more? Can you please ask some better questions so the people of Florida can kind of get a better idea? Um, about this legislation, but no, that's asking way too much from the local media. That's asking way too much from the national so, media. And I've been pounding my audience about spreading the words and finding the right information through podcasts because the media is failing us so, so badly. So in, in fairness, I come from the media world. I worked in uh, radio and television uh, corporate level for just shy of a decade. And I will tell you, there is a lot of pressure to be first. There's a lot of pressure to, um, you know, that old saying, if it bleeds, it leads. That's a true thing. You know, people people really tune in to um, the negative and the outrageous. And the yeah, drama. the drama that that's a it, it's a human nature thing. You know, it's kind of like we were just talking about that the natural reaction is to be angry um, before we dial ourselves back and do a little research and kind of learn what we're angry about. <laughs> and in today's world, the competition is so great for media that I know what they're doing is they are just trying to get there and be the first on scene and the first to go live on Facebook or whatever else they need to do. Um, 90% of the time, it's it's younger reporters who have a director, you know, kind of in their ear telling them you got to do more faster. There's just a lot of pressure in that world. Right. And this is a, yeah, this is a yeah. um, complex topic, really in a lot of ways, much better suited to a podcast or, you know, um, written if right, people exactly. read, we don't we don't read as much as a society as we used to, but it's a longer conversation than is made easy for the standard mainstream media. Yeah, yeah, and and I think people I think people that um, you know care about these topics need to spend the time and energy, the effort. I I agree wholeheartedly. Right. To seek out the alternative media because it's there. It's just not something you can flick on your TV and see it right away. Yes. You well, know? that's why we have people like you. you. Well, and you and, you know, and I'm pushing this topic um, a lot. And, you know, it's it, there's two sides to every coin. And people that are outraged and are pissed about the environment and the water quality and they reach out to me and... I know damn well what's happening. They're watching their news stations at night and they're trying to get a grip on what's going on out there. And it's never going to happen if they don't pursue the real information that they need to have. And the, the term education, I keep coming back to that because really everything pivots around the everyday guy actually understanding and being educated on what's going on out there. And that is not happening through the regular TV, uh, newspaper type media. I, I tend to agree with you, my friend. That's why we're um, happy to always have a conversation with you because, you know, any opportunity I can have to share and and try to translate some of this stuff so that I tell them all the time when I go to a South Florida Water Management District meeting or a DEP meeting of some sort, you know, whether it be a ta the task force or, or FWC, right? I tell them, guys this is great. And I understood it because I've been paying attention for just shy of a decade. But did you talk to the average person today? <laughs> you know, I, right. they use words right. like iterative. The first time I heard them use that word, <laughs> yeah. I went, okay, so can you boil that down? Because nobody understands that. Like you just, right. you speak above people and that's I think a big part of our problem is so many of these people that are the um, the experts, right? The true experts, the biologists and the ecologists and the hydrologists, um, you know, and wastewater treatment guys and all these different experts that they bring into these meetings. Um, 
they speak their own language. And it takes a while right. for somebody like you or me, right, um, with my media degree, uh, to translate that and to get it in our head, what it is they're actually talking about. And and that's part of why I committed to One Florida Foundation is because I saw the need to try to, A, bring various stakeholders, you know, whether they be from agriculture or an urban environment, together, to pull together because we have a heavy lift. And B, I saw the need to just talk about these things in a very real way. And it's not easy. It's, you know, there are times when I find myself right down into that rabbit hole of using um, acronyms, right? I'll, I'll talk about the, uh, you know, WERP, the Western Everglades Restoration Project. And I'll say WERP instead of saying Western Everglades Restoration Project, because let's, let's face it, that's a really long thing to say. <laughs> and and, and if you're doing media, especially, you know, you've got a, a two minute interview and 30 seconds of it's going to be aired. And by the time you've said Lake Okeechobee system operating manual, well, you've just eaten up 15 seconds to get 30 seconds. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, there goes that. No, so seconds left. so, so what there? happens is just like anybody, um, and I think we I think we sort of started the the show today talking about the fact that you you know you speak fishing. If you're going to start talking to me about fishing, you know, I, admittedly I don't fish much. And so you're going to talk about things where I have to go, okay, wait. What what are we talking about here? Hold on. Just a minute. I I think you know run the dog, right? I'm not as regular <laughs> a listener as I should be. Um although I do listen. And and it just one day you posted that on my page on social media, RTD and I went, "What?" What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I remember, but see, I don't, I I don't speak your language every day. And so um, the need for translation and the need to speak plainly and the need to learn each other's languages, it's really important. It's really right. important. It, it really, it, it really is. Now with the, with the one Florida foundation, um, before we wrap up this, this podcast, um, Tell my audience what the latest and greatest and what you're most excited about in your foundation. Just if Well, late. I will tell you, although I was not at the governor's press conference, um, we have been supporting this legislation in various forms and pushing for a major water bill uh, persistently since 2013. And there are bits of my work that I do see in this, you know, not to brag, but but I see moments where where I go, oh, wow, I know I helped influence that, right? And it's me and a whole team of other people and and people from different organizations. Like this is always a big team effort, um, which is why we need more people like you, more people on the team. You know, we are all in this together. So so we're really excited about Senate Bill Seven Twelve. Um, beyond that, I am working right now with another. Uh, group of sportsmen, uh, gladesmen, uh, to work on the Cape Sable Seaside Sparrow issue. Uh, the Cape Sable oh, okay. Seaside Sparrow is very much one of the challenges with sending more water south. And there are ways that we can move forward and are going to have to move forward around that challenge. So basically, the Cape Sable Seaside Sparrow is this little bird directly south of the S-12 structures in the Southern Everglades from Water Conservation Area 3 that go, you know, across the Tamiami Trail and down into Everglades National Park. And in order to send more water south through there, we really need to be able to open all four of those S-12 structures. And unfortunately, the Cape Sable Seaside Sparrow is a subpopulation. They have a subpopulation A is the name of it that has taken up residence there because we changed the habitat when we built our flood control system and and it's dry and it's suitable for them to nest and this little bird is um, an endangered species and it requires like the perfect nesting situation it needs water but not too much water and it's got these short little legs and it needs you know i i think that the the it's like three inches difference between what it needs and doesn't need i mean it's just crazy and because it nests there nine months out of every year the s12 a and b structure are closed so we have some challenges there that we have to overcome because as we get more everglades restoration projects completed 
we're going to need to be able to send more water that direction. So that's one of the things that we're really working on. We're really working to advocate to find a solution to that problem. Um, Very yeah. cool. Very cool. The, um, you mentioned you mentioned Waterman. Is that like part of the guys that do the TV so, show? You know, uh, Gladesman, it's kind of a catch-all. Sports, my sportsman community, as I, I refer to them, uh, there are lots of different groups involved in um, – you know, hunting and fishing in Florida, in the interior more. And and these are the guys with the airboats and the buggies. And uh, Florida Sportsman's Conservation Association is one of them. Uh, there's the Everglades Coordinating Council. Um, lots of the airboat groups. You know, you've got uh, Lake Okeechobee Airboat Association. You've got the Broward County Airboat Association. So many of these gladesmen and sportsmen they know the interior of florida and the everglades generationally just like you find with the coastal fishermen who were raised fishing you know off the reefs you find that same okay. thing there okay so, so okay so you're referring to the water yeah the, the, the gladesmen yeah the yeah. real guys the real guys <laughs> yes <out there. laughs> i am fortunate to know quite a few of them and, and to count them um, as a part of our team, right? <laughs> so, and they've introduced me to so much of Florida yeah, I, that I would not have gotten the opportunity to see otherwise. And and I got to tell you, when I say, honestly, I love this state, I love it truly and deeply from tip to toe and every single bit of it, whether we're talking about the Florida Springs or, you know, wading in the swamp, I love every bit of it. Well, Nyla, that was that was absolutely phenomenal. Thanks so much for being on the um, Lunker Dogs Real Guy Show, and um, I'm going to hit you up um, from time to time, one to come on the program. I also want to go around the state and um, try to educate as many people as I can about all the failures that happened here in Fort Lauderdale and make sure they don't happen other places. So I'd love to hit you up Fantastic. later. Fantastic, let's do it. And. Um, yeah, and I just want, on the behalf of everybody in the Real Guy Network, is we really appreciate the effort, um, because God knows we know it takes a lot. So thanks so much, and thanks for being on thank the Real you. Guy Podcast. Thank you.